Welcome to Investing with IBD, sponsored by Vantage Point. It's August 25th, 2021, and on today's show, we have, of course, Arusha Paris, as always, joining me, your host, Justin Nielsen. And on today's show, our first two segments are going to be spent with our guest, Pedro Palandrani, to talk about the Global X ETFs and get into some of the major themes that he thinks are very interesting and some of the stocks that are driving those themes. And then, of course, in our last segment, Arusha and I are going to take a look at the market, a big change that we saw uh, from the last podcast that we did, and some of the stocks that are on our radar. So let's go ahead and bring on Pedro Palandrani. Uh, Pedro, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. It's great to have you. And, uh, you know, just real quickly, I mean, Global X, this is one that it, uh, your ETFs seem to be popping up more and more. There were some of these ETFs that I was looking at at first, uh, you know, especially like in the cybersecurity area. And I always take a look at what the top holdings of the ETF are. And one of the things that kind of struck me was, oh, man, there's some of these cybersecurity ETFs where Cisco is the largest holding. And it's like, I, I don't, I don't want to have Cisco as my cybersecurity play, um, especially when it was like 8% or something like that. But it seemed like a lot of your ETFs were a little bit more representative of a lot of the stocks that we're looking at, these leading stocks, the ones that are uh, kind of top of mind, more like the cyber, uh, you know, the cyber arc, the CrowdStrike, the Zscaler, the Fortinet and those uh, in, the, in the security space. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about how you go about making your choices? And you've got so many themes that you're following. Uh, just give us a brief overview on that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, exciting times here at Global Lakes. Clearly, it, we have shown our leadership in thematic investing. Today, we have over 30 thematic ETFs in the market, the most comprehensive suite of thematic ETFs. So like you say, we have everything from cybersecurity, from robotics and AI, cloud computing, social media, e-commerce, you name it, really the most comprehensive suite of ETFs uh, to bring to market uh, or to provide advisors the ability to, to get exposure to these disruptive macro-level trends that, as you know, are disrupting uh, our economy and different sectors of our economy. So you touch on one point that it's extremely important in that is that here at Global X, in most cases, just with a few exceptions, all of our thematic ETFs need to follow what we call a pure play revenue exposure. And that essentially means that most of the companies within our funds need to generate at least 50% of the revenue from the theme in regards. So you talk about cybersecurity. We require every single company within our BOG ETF, that's the Global X Cybersecurity ETF, to generate at least 50% of the revenue from the cybersecurity theme. And of course, that touches within uh, all the different verticals within cybersecurity, email security, um, cloud computing security, and all the different verticals. But that's really important. And that sets uh, set us apart from, from, from our competitors. And I think investors are definitely looking at pure play exposure to these themes. And that's what we're trying to provide to them. Well, just very quickly, how, how long does it take to come up with a, an idea for one of these trends and then actually get it to market? That, that, that's a phenomenal question. You know, um, it, it's important to recognize, you know, we have looked at so many different themes, like um, for, for years, for example, we have looked at the blockchain technology theme. We recognize its potential, but just a few months ago, it was very hard 
to provide that pure play exposure that I was talking about. Uh, of course, in 2021, you started seeing a lot of direct listings, IPOs, SPACs around the blockchain technology theme with crypto miners and digital transaction companies and others. And it became feasible to bring that theme to market. But it usually is you know, it could be from one year where we recognize that there is an opportunity and that there is a disruptive macro level trend that we can capitalize and bring an ETF to market. But in other cases, it could take years for us doing research and recognizing the theme until actually becomes uh, investable for us. And I think it's important to note here that uh, when we launch a theme, we look at three different criteria. We look at one we need to have a very high conviction in the theme. So that means that we look at the total addressable market, we look at revenue growth and expected revenue growth figures for the companies within the theme. We look at path to profitability of the companies within the theme and a number of other metrics. Number two, we look at how investable it is. And this is often the, the deal breaker, because as you can think, uh, we need at least 20 to 25 companies to really use the ETF wrapper for the theme. And so uh, because we have that pure play exposure, sometimes it can get complicated. And so we have to uh, wait until the, the, the theme becomes investable. And third, we really look at time horizon. We're looking at themes that are going to uh, evolve over the next five to 10 years, it's really not short-term. We're looking at long-term trends that, like I said before, are going to change uh, many different sectors within our economy. Right, and maybe talk a little bit about the, the weighting. I mean, market cap weighting is you know, pretty much the standard. That's what a lot of people use. I mean, S&P 500 uses it, and, and you know, there's, there's so many that use that. Um, but how do you make it so that uh, one of your stocks maybe doesn't overwhelm the entire ETF? If you put together the pure play revenue exposure uh, mechanism that I talked about, plus the uh, market cap weighting scheme, you really end up with a fund that owns the leading companies within the theme, right? So by uh, uh, having that market cap weighting scheme, essentially we're allowing market dynamics to dictate which companies should have a higher weighting or fund, and which companies should have a lower weighting or fund. And that's very different from having a, equal weighted approach where right. at each rebalance, you're gonna end up selling your winners and buying more of the losers. So I think that's really a, a different from what we're doing. That market cap weighting scheme with that pure play revenue exposure, it's really a nice combination because you end up owning the leading companies within each theme. So it's not like we're owning Amazon within, um, I don't know, an, an artificial intelligence um, ETF, simply because Amazon does not generate more than 50% of the revenue from artificial intelligence. Even though they're uh, doing great things in that space, that's not the exposure that we're trying to provide. Right, well, let's get right into it. And why don't we go ahead and start by delving into some of the themes that you are most excited about. And one of the ones that you mentioned before the show was this whole infrastructure. Of course, this is something that's top of mind. We've got the legislation coming out from Washington, DC. Um, a lot of people are wondering, okay, uh, you know, a lot of times people talk about infrastructure, they talk about setting the money aside, but sometimes it takes a while for those projects to actually happen. So uh, what is it, you know, just broadly to start out, uh, what is it that you're trying to do with your infrastructure uh, ETF? Yeah, okay, great question. Yeah, uh, we have our, uh, the Global X US Infrastructure Development ETF, and really we're trying to provide exposures to the companies that stand 
to benefit from the materialization of that macro level train, which is investing in US infrastructure. So you can think about companies within uh, heavy equipment, engineering, construction, the raw materials that are critical to build uh, uh, the infrastructure here in the United States. And like you said, Today, it seems that it's top, for, top of mind for everyone uh, because of the infrastructure bills that we're seeing uh, being introduced in, in Washington. Just uh, a few days ago, we, we had that $1.2 trillion Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, uh, which was a bipartisan uh, bill that really seeks to invest uh, in the infrastructure of, of the United States and across multiple verticals. You're looking at a transportation and transit. Uh, you're looking at roads and bridges. You're looking at rail. You're, you're also looking at some of the clean tech components that are going to be more important in the reconciliation bill, but they're still uh, showing up here in the $1.2 trillion um, infrastructure bill uh, that is likely going to pass uh, on the Senate over the next few weeks or months. Uh, other areas like clean tech, digital infrastructure uh, are also important. But again, our ETF is really trying to provide exposure to the leading companies that stand to benefit from greater spending in, in, in infrastructure development here in the United States. With the clean tech part of the infrastructure, uh, what, what are some of the kind of the long-term trends that you're seeing there that are infrastructure related? Because I wouldn't necessarily connect clean tech with infrastructure. Yeah, you know, um, it, when you think about the infrastructure of the 21st century, it's clearly important to recognize that it's not just roads and bridges or seaports and airports. It's really about incorporating those clean tech elements and also the digital infrastructure side of things. So within the $1.2 trillion uh, infrastructure bill, you're seeing that there are $73 billion that are really geared towards power infrastructure and, and clean energy. So you can think about uh, things like smart grid technologies and battery storage that are so important to, uh, to be the foundation for renewable energy producers. You're also looking at $7.5 billion to build charging stations across the United States. And finally, another $7.5 billion, $7 billion that go, uh, that are geared towards low emission buses and ferries. So, you know, um, it's not as robust as the clean tech spending that we're expecting to see in the reconciliation bill of three and a half billion, a trillion dollars, excuse me, but it's a steel material and very large uh, or sizable capital that it's going to be invested in, in, clean, in clean tech infrastructure. So what we see from this ETF, I mean, there's, there's really kind of a pattern that's formed and we saw, uh, again, what we were talking about with some of these early entries with this downtrend that happened in this handle after after this consolidation formed. And, and I'm just pointing this out because normally this is not necessarily our biggest thing that we're looking at at ETFs, but it's just interesting that a lot of the stocks that we've been looking at have the same exact shape. So a lot of them were presenting entries on Friday. And, and are there any particular stocks in the group that really stick out to you, Pedro, that you know really kind of uh, get you the most excited, I guess? 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, again, I think the group as a whole, uh, all these segments that I mentioned before, uh, within construction and engineering, uh, you know, heavy machinery, transportation, and infrastructure-related commodities are going to benefit. But a few of the interesting names that are within our ETF PAVE, um, you can see Jacobs Engineering, for example. Um, they're a construction and engineering um, services company that really provide a range of services uh, which are going to play a role in developing the 21st century infrastructure that I was talking about. Actually, if you listen to the latest earnings call from, from the company, um, they say that 95% of the revenue aligns with the, with the language that you're seeing in the infrastructure bill. Actually, if you look at the revenue from the last 12 months, 75% of the revenue is coming from the United States. So again, it's really that pure play exposure to that a, a infrastructure development in the United States. And also 33% of the revenues in 2020 of Jacobs Engineering came from the US government. So again, you're really seeing how uh, the dots come together and provide real good exposure to, to that infrastructure package that we're seeing in Washington. Great. So we'll go ahead and take a break real quick, but when we come back, we're going to get into some of the other themes that Global X offers and some of the stocks that are looking interesting. Stay tuned. Kicking yourself for that early exit? You can prevent them, and it's easier than you think. Go to freestockcoaching.com to see the tool independent traders are using to perfect their trades, artificial intelligence. AI doesn't involve staring at your screen for hours, and no research is needed. Just pick a stock and press a button. Visit freestockcoaching.com to see a live demo now. You need to be ready for rapid market changes and AI can help you avoid potential losses. Check out freestockcoaching.com to learn more. Trading involves financial risk and is not suitable for all investors. Past results do not guarantee future performance. Okay, welcome back to Investing with IBD podcast sponsored by Vantage Point. It's Justin Nielsen here along with Arusha Paris and our guest this week, Pedro Palandrani from Global X ETF. So Pedro, uh, we kind of covered a little bit about the infrastructure, but another area that seems to be exciting you is this whole battery technology idea. And you've got a ETF, LIT is the ticker symbol on this. Um, talk to us a little bit about this technology, why it's important and what stocks are jumping out uh, to you right now. Sure. I think at this point, it's clear to, to everyone that EVs are here to stay. You know, five years ago, it was very um, challenging to really believe that uh, every single OEM is, was going to transition towards electrification. But that's, I think, uh, something that seems extremely clear. You can think about companies like Volkswagen committing 100% uh, to electrification, even Mercedes-Benz uh, also going uh, fully electric, hopefully by 2030, and Ford and GM and all of these other companies. Uh, you know, kind of the best analogy that I can come up with is back in the uh, 1849, during the California gold rush, you know, you had a few companies that uh, struck rich. Um, you know, most of the people who made money back then were those companies that sold picks and shovels. So right, as right. we think about electric vehicles, we really believe that if we look within the supply chain of electric vehicles, we're going to find a phenomenal investment opportunities. For one, you have battery technology manufacturers, but you also have lithium miners that really stand to benefit as electric vehicles take off. And simply because 
every single OEM is working with the same battery manufacturers. You can think about Tesla working with Panasonic for over 10 years here in the United States. They're now working in China with CATL, a Chinese battery manufacturer, and they're also working with LG Chem, uh, a South Korean company. You can look at Volkswagen, uh, Ford, and others. They're all working with the same battery manufacturers. So really, the companies that going to, that, that are going to benefit from the EV uh, revolution. And you also have the lithium miners. Uh, you need to uh, recognize that Five companies uh, supply about 75% of the world's lithium. So I think as we provide exposure to those companies, plus the new entrants, I think that really uh, is going to provide great exposure uh, for the supply chain within electric vehicles, like I said. Now, if we look at lithium, why it's important for investors to look at lithium, just in 2020, lithium demand was approximately 300,000 metric tons of, of lithium by 2030. Just to give you an idea, that number is going to increase eight times to 2.4 million metric tons of lithium in terms of demand. Now, here it's important to note that it's hard to bring lithium to market. So lithium supply is expected to fall short of lithium demand. It takes about five years to actually bring lithium to market. So even though if we started investing a lot in uh, lithium mining today, it's going to take significant amount of time to bring that lithium uh, supply. So lithium prices uh, are increasing significantly and lithium miners are really uh, benefiting here. So if you look at companies like Livent, for example, uh, Livent is one of the top five lithium producers in the world. Uh, they operate in South America. Uh, what's important and attractive of, uh, about Livent is that um, different from Albemarle and SQM, which are the number one and number two lithium companies, they only specialize in lithium and then number two they're focused they're focusing on lithium hydroxide so i guess i need to explain here a little bit about hydroxide uh but we need to get some chemical models out here uh yeah. real quick. <laughs> <laughs> i know i know but you know for for, for investors uh, lithium hydroxide is really the material that it's going to be used in the next generation of battery technology hydroxide can uh, decompose at a lower energy than lithium carbonate the other option when it comes to battery technology so uh, having that lithium hydroxide uh, for uh, uh, or the production of lithium hydroxide from live end they really stand to benefit from the next generation of a battery technology. And number so three- with, with, So Pedro, with that, with the, it's able to last a little bit longer. So yeah, does that mean that the batteries are gonna last longer? They can hold more charge to it? Is, is that- Exactly, yeah, you're 100% right. So lithium hydroxide is essentially decomposes at a lower energy. So yeah. therefore that requires lower energy consumption. So you can really deliver greater energy density in the battery. So the more the energy density, the more range you can really get in an electric vehicle. And you know how important it is right. uh, having a, right. a long range within electric vehicles. Mm -hmm. Now, is this is this kind of a, uh, when you say next generation, I mean, what kind of leap are we talking about here? Is this, is this like going from uh, VHS tapes to DVDs or, you know, is this more uh, the, the, the kind of thing where the technology there's two the Betamax and the VHS, and it's a matter of who gets to be the, the leader. 
Justin, I, I, Pedro looks a little young. He's he's not going to get this VHS <laughs> beta kind of thing here. I mean, even I'll, DVD I'll, might be stretching it. I'll try my best. I'll try my best to 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 align with that analogy. But you know, when you think about battery technology and the advancements there, clearly energy density is a big component. But I think what investors are looking at today is actually the cost of manufacturing the battery technology. Now, over the last 10 years, battery technology for especially lithium ion battery technology has declined in cost in about 90%. So finally, we're about to get very competitive in terms of, uh, you know, seeing electric vehicles competing with internal combustion engine vehicles. Actually, here at Global Edge, we expect that within the next 12 to 18 months, electric vehicles are already going to become cheaper than internal combustion engine cars. So, you know, you can think about the fact that at that point, it's really going to be an inflection point where EV demand is going to increase significantly because for consumers, if you go to a dealership or you're buying a car online, you know, when you have the electric vehicle option, which is going to be cheaper, it offers a better driving experience. You can actually get tax credits if if you're here in the United States for some vehicles, right. it's really going to be a no-brainer decision for consumers. So, uh, and is that pricing? That, is that pricing with the tax incentives, or even without the tax incentives, it's still going to be getting to that cheaper price when, in 12 to 18 months, according to your analysis? Great question. Without uh, the tax credits, electric wow. vehicles are expected to become cheaper than internal combustion engines just within the next uh, 12 to 18 months. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so you know what, we should probably back up a little bit. We we went through a lot of uh, 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 stocks here that you were talking about. So just to kind of make sure that people have some of these symbols uh, in case they're listening and they want to type these symbols in at home. So Live Incorporation, the ticker symbol on that is LTHM. Uh, you talked about some of those um, other other lithium plays like yeah, Albemarle, Albemarle right. ALB. Um, who else did you mention? Um, SQM. SQM. SQM the the yes. world's second largest producer. Um, they're planning to increase capacity uh, almost by four times by 2025. That's faster than any other miner in the world. So SQM, um, an important company. And one that I want to talk about today is Lithium Americas. Um, ticker is LAC, LAC. Uh, mm -hmm. They're really a company that are developing the largest known lithium resources here in the United States. Today, the United States has a market share of only 1% in terms of lithium mining. So this company can really become important in terms of uh, uh, supplying lithium to the world. Uh, the project that they have is known as um, Packer Pass. Uh, they're really aiming to produce the first carbon neutral uh, lithium products in the industry. Um, if you think about the fact that they're planning to have an initial capacity of uh, 60,000 metric tons of lithium here in the United States, plus 40,000 metric tons are, they're expecting to have in another mine in Argentina, which is with a partnership with Ganfeng Lithium, a Chinese company and one of the largest lithium miners in the world. They're really uh, expecting to become an important player in the industry. So Lithium Americas is also an important company here. Mm -hmm. And maybe talk a little bit, if you go back to the chart on LIT, you know, one thing that might scare some of some investors is uh, LIT just looks like it's very gappy. And this is not a thin, a thin name. That's not what's going on here. I mean, there's, uh, you know, almost a million shares traded on average each day. Um, but there is a lot of Chinese exposure. 
you do get those markets that are, you know, they're acting overnight. And so sometimes you get that gap up in the morning as, as that Chinese exposure. Um, does the Chinese exposure, especially given what happened with Chinese stocks recently, does, is that something that worries you? Or can you talk about some of the names that you think can maybe do, do good even despite some of the governmental action that's happening? Yeah, um, it, when you look at electric vehicles, it's, I think, impossible to not think about China. Um, just to give you some stats, if you start downstream with uh, electric vehicles, it, China accounts for over 50% of total electric vehicles sold around the world. When you look at the manufacturing of the batteries, China has a market share of 77%. If you look at chemical processing, which is the process after the, the, the lithium extraction, um, they have a market share of 60%. So China is a really important country when it comes to the electric vehicle supply chain. So like I said before, we're really trying to provide pure play exposure to the theme. And we believe that Chinese companies are very well positioned to benefit as electric vehicles continue to, to take off. So some of the important companies here are CATL. CATL is one of the most important battery manufacturers in the world. What makes them so special is that they have the largest number of contracts with OEMs around the world. They're working with Tesla in China. I mentioned that before. They're also working with Volkswagen. They're working with a, a large number of companies and that's really setting the company apart. You also have a few other companies like BYD, um, Gamfeng Lithium when it comes to lithium, uh, Tianqi Lithium, another important miner. So I think these companies are really, really important when it comes to uh, the electric vehicle supply chain. Yeah, and not all of these are traded on US exchanges. Uh, Boyd is. Um, that's BYDDF. Uh, you can get, get access to that, but not all of these are traded on uh, US exchanges. So uh, in a way, you're kind of getting access to that through the ETF, where, whereas you don't have to deal with kind of the foreign exchange uh, exchanges in terms of your, your stock purchasing. Yeah, that, that's correct. These are uh, companies that are listed in China, in Shanghai or Shenzhen, and we're providing that exposure to investors. We, we, we acknowledge that it could be very hard for an individual investor or even a financial advisor to get exposure to these leading companies. So LIT or Global X Lithium and Battery Technology ETF really provide exposure to, to these leading companies. Yeah, I think one other benefit with, with this is with lithium, and, I, and I've tried to understand this over the last year when I saw a lot of these stocks signing up, it was too hard for me to, to understand, okay, why is lithium hydroxide better than lithium carbonate and all this kind of stuff? So this is where I, I see a lot of value with, with ETFs, where it's like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll let Pedro and, and Global X worry about that. And I'll just ride the trends because really this ETF, just looking at it, 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 it trends pretty well. And so you can almost get the benefit of some of these trends that you might not fully understand uh, and, uh, you know, let, let uh, Global X worry about it. Yeah. Well, Pedro, I really appreciate you coming on and kind of sharing some of your expertise with us uh, regarding, you know, these themes. And, and certainly, I'm sure we'll be seeing a lot more of the Global X ETFs in the future. Uh, so thanks. Thanks a lot for being on the show. Thank you for having me. It was great. Okay. And when we come back, Arush and I are going to do a breakdown of the market and talk a little bit about what we saw in this last week and the opportunities that presented themselves. Make sure you stay tuned for that. Why trade off hope and optimism when you can trade using the world's most powerful indicator, 
Artificial intelligence has been used by traders to navigate the markets for the past three decades. Visit freestockcoaching.com to see the world-leading AI forecasting software for yourself. Trusted by more than 32,000 traders, AI uses millions of data points to track market trends, giving you the support you need right now. Go to freestockcoaching.com and we will help you find great opportunities today. Our experts will show you what stocks are setting up for big changes right now. So head over to freestockcoaching.com for a free demo. Trading involves financial risk and is not suitable for all investors. Past results do not guarantee future performance. Welcome back to Investing with IBD, sponsored by Vantage Point. I'm your host, Justin Nielsen, and Arusha Pires, O'Neill Global Advisors Portfolio Manager, is joining me for a discussion on the market and some of the stocks that kind of caught our attention last week. I mean, I think the biggest thing here is we were getting a little bearish at our last, last podcast. It was a week ago. It was Wednesday. Things were coming in. And I mean, we haven't had a correction in quite a while, anything more than 5%. But what about that turn that we saw on Thursday and Friday? Maybe we could take a look at that. And uh, Arusha, how did you handle it? Uh, yeah, well, first, uh, with, with the, the word correction, I think you can just erase that from your vocabulary because apparently we don't have no corrections more anymore exactly. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah i mean just tear that that chapter out from bill's book we have uh, gentle pullbacks <laughs> <laughs> but you know honestly it, it's we knew this was coming i, I mean it, this is the, this is the mark the, the market these days right mm -hmm. it's this is the character in the market the market will crawl up crawl up and then have a, a couple of days that uh, a, a two or three day pullback that honestly on the on the overall indexes it's not that bad but underneath the surface with the stocks that we're trying to manage we're trying to get into they, they can be quite volatile so uh, I this is par for the course it, it did exactly what we we're expecting but that being said it's hard to always get yourself to be aggressive at those especially times. when you're living in it right yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, because I, and you said this last week, you know, the problem is, uh, you know, you look at it in retrospect and, oh, yeah, it just came down to the 50-day moving average line, big whoop. But you're looking at some of the individual stocks and they probably, you know, in some cases undercut, you know, some of these moving average lines. And at their lows, you start worrying, okay, is it going to keep going? And it would be one thing if you just had one stock doing it. But again, I think you made the great point last week. It's happening to all of your stocks at the same time and you feel like, Oh no! Is is the sky falling? Yeah, I mean the reality is is that you know while I pay attention to the the overall markets and and kind of the status of and stuff like that during the day, almost hundred percent of the time I'm watching the individual stocks. I'm, I'm looking at what stocks are setting up, looking at my portfolio is doing. Trying not to look too much at my portfolio when the market is coming in. Uh, so I'm making most of my decision, probably hundred percent of my decision on the individual stocks. Right. And, you know, Mike Webster used to talk a lot about, you know, kind of rating your stocks as being a way to kind of stick with the ones that you have more conviction in. Um, so, uh, how, how light, how light did you get? Did you, uh, stay, stay fairly invested or did you have to do some, uh, catching up on Friday? I know I probably went a little bit lighter than I, I should have. Um, but. I was very quick to kind of turn uh, on on Thursday and Friday, especially Friday, uh, and and get get aggressive. And uh, frankly, I was buying back a lot of the positions uh, that I had trimmed. Yeah, I, I I was the same way. I I was lightening up, 
Uh, I, I knew that even on Wednesday when, when it was coming out, I was like, I know that most likely the market's going to turn on Thursday and, and definitely on Friday. Uh, but I can't, I have to, I have to still stick to my risk management. So right. I, I was lightening up. I tried not to, for the most part, get out completely out of the stocks, lighten up with, and really with the expectation that I was going to start increasing that exposure by yeah. the end of the week. Uh, and, and you sometimes have to ebb and flow. I, I think that is a really big concept that took me years to learn. And, and sometimes it still takes me a, a number of lessons um, to, to get it down every year, I think. But is that you don't have to get completely out of the stocks. And I try not to, especially for the ones that I have the biggest conviction in. When I was newer, when I would panic, I would just sell everything, throw everything overboard, right? Yeah. Sell 100% of all the positions. Uh, now I'll say, okay, let me lighten up, walk away from the screen, not watch it. Okay, lighten up a little bit more, but, but try to retain some of it because I've found over the years that if the market does turn around, it's a lot easier to increase that existing position. Yeah versus yeah. starting a position it's it's really strange even if i have like a two down it shouldn't matter i know it yeah. shouldn't matter but it does <laughs> it does it's really strange but so i've found like if i have if i keep it down to like a two percent three percent position which now i essentially equate as going at zero mm -hmm. i can get that back up to a ten percent pretty quickly versus if i get to zero and it's completely out of the portfolio it's it's that price anchoring really takes over and I, I have a much harder time starting a brand new position in that stock mm. if it starts reverse. Right. So, so looking at the market, we're looking at the NASDAQ composite here, uh, ticker symbol zero NDQC on MarketSmith. And again, you know, what, what was concerning us early in the week last week was that we had some of these cases where we got a reversal on Monday and we closed at the top of the range, but the next day was down and it just kept on undercutting the lows but eventually Thursday, I mean, that was, that was a good look right there. And Friday, because it followed up on that move, that's where it, it seemed like a, a good place to get aggressive. Uh, again, support at the 50-day moving average line. This is, this is as picture perfect in terms of those early entries, as you can see, that Chris was talking about last week. But I also wanted to take a note on uh, the Russell 2000, and maybe we could look at IWM, because IWM, uh, that one was looking, again, like the laggard index. It got support right below the 200-day moving average line. It closed below it and then really came on strong Friday. And that's the one that's been moving the strongest off the bottom. And that's fairly typical. The ones that come down the hardest are the ones that bounce back the hardest. But it's now trying to challenge that 50-day moving average line again, a place where it's been kind of stuck for a few months now. Yeah, it's interesting. When it came back and found support off the 200-day this time around, uh, it did not undercut the 209.05 level, uh, as opposed to that 209.05 level undercut the 211 level a month ago. So you had a shakeout there. This time, you didn't shake out, didn't come that far. So maybe it's just that first indication of strength or not everyone wants to get out of it, uh, and they're willing to hold until that 209, and they haven't been shaken out uh, so so that's one thing to think about if we get the russell 2000 to break out of this flat base 
that would definitely uh, do wonders for, I think, our type of stocks are a, a growth market. Because a lot of times when the Russell 2000 is doing well, that means that it's a risk on environment, more speculations coming into the environment. Right. I will say the one thing that did, you know, that I would have preferred to see is I absolutely agree with you. The fact that it didn't undercut that 20905, uh, you know, was a positive. What would have been even better to me is if the relative strength line had stayed in, in, a, in a more positive uh, reaction there, you know, staying above maybe that previous low on the relative strength line. Uh, that's something I remember watching Bill do all of this buying in 2009 off of something similar where they didn't undercut, whereas the market did. But in this case, the S&P 500, uh, I mean, that, you know, the S&P 500 has just been so strong looking. It, it's, it just hasn't come down hardly at all. And, you know, that, that didn't even get to the 50 day moving average line. It undercut the 21 day and yep. right back to new highs just a, just a couple of days later. So the fact that we're at new highs, is that bothering you at all? No, it, it I, I think that we've had our shakeout. Now we're back at new highs and we're, we'll probably crawl up for if, if it continues to hang and stay with the character that it's been for the last four months or so, it'll probably crawl for another right. two, three weeks and then we'll have another one. Uh, and then maybe set ourselves up for that beginning of the, you know, the, 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 the fall rally. But to be clear with the Russell 2000, it's definitely the laggard still it, it's yeah. still um still, still needs to prove itself to yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah let's get into a few of the stocks that we've been talking about and um i we, we might as well revisit one of the ones that chris brought onto our radar last week he was talking about academy sports and outdoor ticker symbol aso and what he liked about this was the nice downtrend we were talking about early entries um there was a nice downtrend that you could draw on this and you know, lo and behold, it, you know, crossed above that downtrend. Now, the trick here was there was, uh, it was below the 50-day moving average line, trading below that for a little while. And Chris had actually mentioned, not only did you have this downtrend line, but you could have drawn a straight line of resistance. And so it kind of crossed both of those lines and the 50-day moving average line. So you kind of had three, three things telling you, hey, it might be time to buy this stock. Yeah, that that was a perfect entry on Monday. Uh, on Monday was the, the on eight twenty three. That was the perfect entry for all of the reasons like Justin just stated. There it broke the descending trend line, broke the horizontal trend line, and it got above the fifty day moving average. So you had three reasons uh, right there to get in, have a little low risk entry point. And uh, for those who got into this stock, they were definitely rewarded over the last couple of days. Yeah, and. Uh... It also had volume on that day and immediately followed up. Now, granted, uh, Dick's Sporting Goods, uh, ticker symbol DKS, it had earnings really just had a phenomenal move today over, you know, closed over 13%. It was up 17% or more at one point, but that was certainly helping Academy Sports, um, but a, a very strong move from that early entry. And so with Academy Sports, you're still not even at the breakout point yet, but you've got a lot of cushion if you bought it on Monday. Yeah, and now it did officially break out out of a cup today. Uh, it, kept, it pulled back a little bit, so it's a little bit underneath the pivot of 42.75. I think the probabilities, and if I'm looking at this and just kind of analyzing and thinking about what could happen over the next couple of weeks, ideally it pulls back a little bit, yeah, shakes out more people, and, and a nice little lines. handle. Yeah, yeah, nice little handle exactly. would be great. Um, yeah. You know, drifting down a little bit, volume kind of 
lowering. Um, I mean, that would be perfect. So let's also take a look. You know, we were talking with uh, Pedro today about some of these, you know, construction plays. And one that I was watching was BLDR, Builders First Source. And what struck me again, this, this one had that nice pullback, very orderly as the market was pulling back. I mean, only came to the 21 day moving average line. The relative strength looked great. Everything looked great. The thing that bothered me uh, and, and why I didn't pull the trigger on this or put it on Swing Trader, because that's where we're looking at it, was the volume. So uh, maybe talk a little bit about how volume plays into the equation for you, Arusha. Yeah, for, and, and for the most part, I think we think the same way with volume. We, we both were raised on Canslim uh, <laughs> right. by, by Bill O'Neill. And you know, volume was absolutely critical. You went at a breakout, you want volume 40 to 50% gr- above at normal volume. Uh, it's because like, you want to see some institutions starting to step into it. It's gotten a little bit trickier, I think, over the, the last 10 years, where you don't always get that clear volume. And honestly, right. uh, you you know, you, the market's evolve, and, and so you have to kind of adapt and come up with some other rules. And so the rules that I usually will uh, use to try to adapt to this different type of environment is uh, a lot of times the either it's the earnings reaction where you're going to get a lot of volume on. So that's where you kind of have those big earnings gaps uh, or you'll just have a just really strong, strong, strong move there. So you get the volume there. And a lot of times those earnings gaps will either gap above the base or they may be the catalyst within the base to form the right-hand side. So if I see volume before the breakout, say it it's the catalyst to form the right-hand side of a cup, I won't require huge volume at the pivot at the breakout point. So I'll, I'll just kind of use that as a justification. But right. um, go ahead. Well, and 10 years ago, I mean, uh, roughly, I was having this conversation with Bill, because uh, I was getting frustrated by some of these that didn't have volume. And he was like, well, if you have volume around the breakout, you know, and, and he said, you know, sometimes it comes in a few days before some days, a few days after, certainly, it's hard, because you don't know, it's going to come in after. Um, but I, you know, I was talking with David Ryan, you know, uh, Mark Minerini refers to him as the volumologist. Yes. And, you know, he, he basically said the same thing when we were talking about this exact subject. So, um, Let's and go so ahead. Justin, if, if you see here on for Builders Resource, so on, on uh, October 5th, you had a little bit of volume, 13%. So it, was, it wasn't huge volume. You had some mm-hmm. on the earnings report. Yeah. And then on October 12th, now you're up to 33, 31% mm-hmm. of volume. So you, you started getting volume up the right-hand side, then it low pullback for the most part within the handle. And now it's, it's coming up. But, you know, honestly... This is a, this is a stock that I've passed on for, and, and volume is a big reason. Where I'm going to always parse things a little bit uh, more fine, or kind of bend the rules a little bit more, are for those stocks that I have a lot more conviction in. Mm-hmm. Right? So those ones is like, yeah, close enough. I really have a lot of conviction. Let me try it, and and I'm, I'm willing to live with the consequences. For a lot of other stocks, like a builder's first source, where I, I you know, yeah. I don't know why this is much better than another construction company. Uh, now I'm going to require probably that volume. Right. Yeah. You, you, you have higher standards. Absolutely. Uh, well, talking about more of a conviction stock, one that both you and I do own um, is NVIDIA. And I just wanted to bring this up because, again, we were talking about this uh, actually while we were taping the podcast last week. Uh, the earnings 
had come out, we were kind of looking at it uh, in, in real time as, as the conference call was going on. And this was another one that it just offered a really nice entry. Uh, you, you, you had the earnings report come out um, Thursday, a nice outside day. It actually was you know down for a little while, but you know just came roaring back. A nice outside day, lots of volume. Uh, it, it, was, it was hard to ask for anything better in terms of that early entry we were talking about last week. Yeah. Now, this was one when we were recording last week, the, the, the stock was actually down before we started. So I was a little sad at that point. Right. I owned shares, <laughs> we can see I it in your face. <laughs> yes. I was like a little sad. But then we, before we, right before we started recording, it came back. So I was, I was a little happy because I'm not losing that much money at this time. And then on the open of the next day, I was pretty quick to get into it when it started getting, when it started going a little bit, I was like, okay, let me just start buying the shares. Cause I lightened up before, before uh, the report just to lighten up. Uh, so I quickly bought that remaining amount and then I scaled up and over the next couple of days, got back to my full position on this. And so NVIDIA is a perfect one where, yeah, it's like, I'm going to bend the rules for this. I have a lot more conviction in this stock. I, this company is so well positioned in so many trends. If it's close enough, that this is a close enough stock. It's right, like, ah, yeah. you know, cl close enough. I'm going for it. I don't want to let it, uh, I don't want it to leave me behind. Well, and th that's again, you know, in working with Bill, you could see sometimes where uh, with those high conviction stocks, you know, there, there were the rules, but then Sometimes he would say, oh, but, you know, there would be like a justification. And this is where some of the exceptions would come in where, hey, you know, yeah, there's that rule, but I'm going to I'm going to allow for this because because of the fundamental story, because of the phenomenal earnings, because of all of these other things. Uh, I guess if you think about the scales, uh, the, the balance was just so overwhelmingly positive that uh, little negative things just did not bother him. And he'd say, yeah, nah, it's, it's just not that big a deal. One, one thing that I've learned at the firm over the years is that sometimes you just got to find a way to get into it. Sometimes yeah. you just have to get into it. It's like, oh, but it's extended. Sometimes you just got to get into it, right? Now, don't use that kind of rule. Don't, don't use the get out of jail free card too <laughs> often, right? But if you think that you've identified one of the leaders in the market and now it's giving you an opportunity and it's close enough that's when I was like, okay, let me buy at least some of it. it might, I'm not going to go full position, you know, uh, completely uh, throw the whole portfolio at it, but right. I might buy a little bit at that point. Um, and actually, I, I did that earlier on with NVIDIA when it broke out and it finally started working. I didn't get a full position at that time. I, I, got, I had some of it, but that little smaller amount enabled me to keep track of it. So when it did pull back and it started to pull back into the 50-day back in uh, in the middle of July, I was much quicker to get into it versus if I completely didn't have any position in it, I would have been all, oh, should I wait for the bounce, stuff like that. This time it was like, okay, I have some, let me just slowly increase it. And then I was able to get it up to a full position over a few weeks. Yeah. Stocks that you have money in are always more top of mind. Uh, and you know, to your, to your earlier point, uh, one of the things that Chris often says is the error of omission is a lot worse than the error of commission. So, you know, in other words, he'd rather be in a stock and be wrong yeah. than not be in a stock and be wrong and have that thing go, go without you. Uh, and of course, part of that is because of risk management. As you said, you just went with a smaller position. We're going to be very quick to you know, toss something out if it's not going in, a, in, in our favor. 
Uh, so that risk management really comes into play so that you can put some of these out there that maybe everything isn't exactly perfect um, and not create that error of omission. Well, Arusha, thank you very much for all of those insights. And next week on the show, we're going to have George Kachuk. He's a portfolio manager of RCM Wealth Advisors. He's been following CanSlim for a very long time, came to a number of our master's programs. He's going to share some of the things that he's learned in his journey and how he's become successful in the stock market. So hope you stay tuned for that. It's Justin Nielsen and Arusha Paris. Thanks a lot for listening. We'll see you next week. And for this week's notes and charts, make sure to go to investors.com slash podcast, where you'll find details for each episode in the podcast episode section. And make sure to subscribe, rate and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.